Our readings today are taken from the book of Psalms. Psalm 78, 1 through 8. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Psalm 145, verses 1 through 9. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Well, good morning. You may have noticed it looks a little empty in here. Uh, most, Many of the middle school and high school kids are away um, on a camping trip, along with several of our pastors and other leaders. Um, so I thought we'd take this sermon and talk about them for a little while. <laughs> well, not really. But think for a moment in your mind. When you think of the youngest generation, what words come to mind? Think for a moment. I'm not going to ask you to say them out loud. How about other generations around you? Each of us have generations younger than us and older than us, right, that we've grown up with. What do you think about when you hear somebody say greatest generation or silent generation? How about when you hear about boomers and Generation X? The millennials, Generation Z, and now the ones that are released for a moment, being called the alphas. What do we think when we hear about that? I don't know if you caught today in the, both passages we read, but it uses the word generations several different times. It talks of generations. God talks of generations, although he talks probably slightly differently than all the words we just thought of. What do these passages tell us about generations? Well, each generation, every one of them, those older than us and those younger than us, they all need one thing. They need to know God. They need to know who he is. They need to know what he's done. And they need to know what he's said. And guess who he's given the task of letting them know? Each one of us. Right? So as you think about other generations other than your own, you probably think there's a big gap between some of them, right? They're very different than me. They think different. They act different. 
And yet God says, regardless of that gap, we are to be the ones that show them God. And so today we want to look at how we do that. How do we cross that generation gap, as it were, and show them the next, the God who is and was and is to come, the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm going to start in Psalm 78. That's actually where we'll spend probably a bit more of our time today because it tells us a lot about passing on the truth of God. It starts, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Kind of gets our attention, right? Give ear. Hear what I'm about to say. I have a teaching for you that's very important. Give ear to it. Psalmist says, I will open my mouth in a parable and utter dark sayings from of old. There's a parable. We often think of Jesus' parables where he just he tells a story that has a particular meaning at the end. Sometimes it's just a made-up story, but that it has a picture for us. But parable can use, be used broader. The telling of even a true story, but with a meaning. Some, something we want people to get out of it. So the author here is going to tell a story. Something that we're supposed to hear. Some of the sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. So what's, again, the author going to speak? He's going to speak some of the things that he's been told. Some of the things he's been told by his fathers. Notice he says, we will not hide them from our children, but tell to the coming generations. He's not going to hide, actually, he's not going to hide what God has done. Actually, if we read the rest of the psalm, it's a long psalm, it's, um, but what the rest of the psalm does, actually the part we read, was it recounts the story of God. It recounts them in him delivering the people from Egypt and walking through the Red Sea and being fed in the wilderness. It also recounts that the children of God rebelled against God. <laughs> that in the wilderness they grumbled against God. They turned from him. They eventually turned to idols as we read the rest of the psalm. And he says, I'm not going to hide from my children what God has done. I'm not going to hide from my children kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly of what has happened with God's people. I'm going to tell them the stories of God and what he's done. Uh, Williams and Ogilvy note in their commentary, this instruction here is not creative. Israel doesn't value the modern scholarship of freshly contributing to the human knowledge. What does he value? Rather, this instruction stands in a chain of tradition. It has been heard and been known, been experienced from the fathers, and it is incumbent that that chain not be broken, that the generation to come is told these same stories of the praises of God. Very interesting. So what is the, what is he talking about? Not coming up with something new, but actually showing our children and the next generations what God has been doing. The glorious deeds of God, right? What are we, what are we to tell them? Well, we keep reading, right? What are we to tell them? We'll tell the, generations to come, the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might. So what has God done? What has he done? He created the world and everything in it for his glory. What has he done? He delivered a people and made them his own and brought them into a promised land. What has he done? Well, he judged them when they turned away from him and took them into captivity. 
But what has he done? He's preserved a remnant, and he brings them back. What has he done? He sent his only begotten son, who died in our place. What has he done? He's risen from the dead. He's defeated Satan and sin and death. What has he done? He has offered salvation and redeemed us and put his very spirit inside of us. What has he done? He's raised up a church, a church that is often persecuted, but a church that rises nonetheless, that the gates of hell can never defeat again. What has he done? He's promised eternity. What has he done? In my life, right? When I was a child, in a good news club, somebody shared the good news of Christ with me, that he died for me, and that he would save me. What has he done? He's raised me up and changed me and into his image in so many different ways. I can talk of college. I can talk of chances to go overseas. I can talk of work with college students and of work here. What has he done? That's what we're supposed to declare to the next generation. Here's what God has done through all of eternity. Here's what God has done in me and through me. (laughs) Here's what I've seen. What else? Tell the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might, the wonders that he has done, how he has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded his fathers to teach their children. What has God done as well? Well, he, he, he's spoken, right? He's spoken many times throughout the scriptures. He's spoken of what his kingdom is meant to look like. He's spoken of what we're meant to look like for our good. We're supposed to know those, look at those, study those, and teach those to the children that come after us. As I mentioned earlier, we're also just supposed to tell the stories, what he's going to go on to tell in Psalm 78 is the glorious things God has done, but also the people that have turned away, that heart has grown hard, that have rebelled against God. And as they rebel against God, what do they do? They start looking for other gods. They start worshiping idols of other nations around them. We need to know of those things. Why? Well, for one, they're part of history. They show us how God works, but also because they're kind of like us, aren't they? Is there ever a place where you haven't wanted to follow God, where you haven't wanted to go where he goes, where you've said, you know, I know something better than God. This way, you know, he says to go this way. I, I'm, It would be better for me to go this way. We need to know that's not new. That's not different. I'm not the first one who's ever felt that guilt. I'm not. God has seen that before. And here's what happens if we keep going down that road. But also, here's the God who comes in mercy in the midst of that. So what is the beginning of this psalm about? It's about that there's things that we have seen and experienced of God in our lives. There's things we've seen and experienced of who God is through Scripture and the stories of what he has done of old that the next generation needs to hear. He's telling us we should be telling that. We should have heard it from our fathers, and we should be telling it to the generations yet to come. Why? Why should we tell these things? 
nice little stories, right? It's good. It makes a good, good for a good Sunday school class. And we want to entertain the kids. We can tell them of, you know, David in a sling or of a boat and Noah. That's not really why we tell these stories, is it? Why do we tell them? Well, he tells us right here. He goes on. In verse 7, rise and tell them to your children that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. Where does hope come from? It comes from the Lord. Who is the Lord? Well, that's what these stories of old tell us. It tells us who he is, that he is that God of redemption, that he is the God that's at work in me, that he's the God that's at work in the next generations under me, the same God that has worked. I've heard testimonies of what he's done in the lives of others in this room. That same God wants to do those same kind of things in the lives of the next generation and the generation after that. And as we hear of those things, as we remind ourselves of those things, even as we come from, you know, every few weeks to communion and remind ourselves of the death and resurrection of Christ, reminding ourselves of those things is what gives us hope in this world we live in. And it's interesting, he goes on even in the same sentence, right? Not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Again, that can sound harsh. Well, we have to go keep commandments. But actually, in here, what is it? As we see God, we hope in him, we get excited about him, our future's in him. And what do we naturally do? We, we, we go live out being the people of God the way he's told us to live out being the people. It flows out of that hope. It's not a go obey to obey. It's a, it's, it's a part of who God is and what it means to worship him and to follow him. And as we get to know God and get to know him, we become excited about him and his commandments and his ways he set up his kingdom. So why does he tell this history? Well, for one, to hope in God. But for two, he gives the other side, the warning here, right? That they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast. The same people that God brought out of Egypt, that he delivered from slavery, that he took through a Red Sea, that he took through the wilderness and fed and gave water and led with fire by night and a cloud by day. Those same people are the ones that grumbled against him. That said to Moses, it would be better if we were back in Egypt. I know it was slavery there, but we, you know, we had good food to eat. That said, maybe we're just here to die in the wilderness. And it says, we want to give that warning to future generations as we see all that God's done, to turn away from him, to go another direction, there's consequences to that. And we want to warn against that. We want to help people see the dangers there. They should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. There weren't just a few people. There was a whole generation that turned against God. And there's that whole generation ended up dying in the wilderness and not seeing the promised land that they had started from Egypt to go get. Now, God was faithful. He brought their children into that promised land and gave it to them. But I want to be sure, as it depends, the part that depends on me, I mean, I can't change anyone's heart, but what's my role? 
passing down God to the next generation so that they might not be a generation that rebels and has a stubborn heart, but might be a generation that seeks the Lord. We talk of this history, right? The history is not just neutral. We talk, today we like to talk about, you know, we want to teach history in a neutral way and stuff. The Bible doesn't teach it in a neutral way. God has a perspective. Here's what he's done, and here's how they responded, and here's what he's done to, he's got a perspective. And he's got a purpose. He's got a purpose in telling us history. Psalm will put it to give hope and to give warning. That's why he tells us of his history. Scripture also say that we are a part of that history. It's funny, since generations showed up here as a word several times, I looked, just looked up generations in the rest of the Bible. I was wondering what other verses there are that use that word. Well, there's 200 other verses that use that word. And almost all of them are genealogies. Here are the generations of Adam, the generations of Abraham, the generations of Jesus, the generations of the generations of, and list long names of, lists of names. I don't know about you, but I get lost in those names sometimes. Right? They're not mine, right? It's not my history. They're somebody else's. I mean, these days we like genealogies, right? People go on Ancestry.com and figure out their family tree, figure out who they come from. They take DNA tests to find out what line they come from. Why? Well, we're interested in who our ancestors are. We're interested in, you know, maybe we came originally, some of our ancestors come from Germany or England or um, some other place, and we want to know that. But really, when you go on Ancestry.com, are you there just to read everybody's family tree? Oh, here's a random family tree. Let me look at it. No, right? What do you care about? Yours. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11, tells us this. Remember, at one time you were Gentiles, which meant at one time you were separated from Christ. You didn't know Christ. You're also separated from the commonwealth of Israel, the people of God of the time, and strangers to the covenant. You were those that were over here without any hope, without God. But what has he done in Christ? You who are far off have been brought near, that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and you are members of the household of God. Other places we'll talk about it as we become his sons and daughters. And as such, we've been grafted into his family tree. Guess what? God's family tree goes back to Abraham, to David, to Isaiah. They're all my ancestors if I'm in Christ. These are, these are, these are my stories. Probably going to pick up ancestry.com and ask, where's my ancestry in Christ? It's going to go back to the stories in this book, to the people in this book. Abraham is, I'm in his line. He's one of my fathers. Jesus, Paul, John, they're all part of my line. Biblical history is ours. Why does that matter? Well, actually, these aren't just stories of some God or of Israel's God, right? These are the accounts of my God of my family. I can learn about God because he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. The promises I read, they're my promises now. 
If I'm outside of Christ, they're not my promises. But inside Christ, in Christ, they are my promises. Promises to save, to deliver. Promises to make us a people as numerous as the stars of the heavens. Promises to protect, to be a shelter, to bless. Promises to multiply, to make us a blessing to the nations. Those promises were given to Abraham and his children, to David and his children, that there will be a king on the throne forever. And guess what? In Christ, I am now his child. I am one of the ones to which those promises come. That also does mean, you know, as I look at my heart, I have some of the same heart that wanders away that we see in the Old Testament, that we see in the New Testament. I have to face that. I have to own my own sin. But it also means the same salvation that I see throughout Scripture, and particularly the salvation of Christ, is for me. It's even greater than the Exodus, right? The Exodus brought them to a promised land. Christ has granted me eternity and secured it forever. And it's the same call, not to harden our hearts, but to respond. Hebrews puts it this way, Therefore we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, so that we don't drift from it. For if the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and a transgression or disobedience received retribution, how much more... Shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This great work that Christ has done in dying in my place calls us not to harden our hearts, but to come to it. Come to him. I will add, just before we go on, talking about our history, that Abraham and Paul are part of our history. God's history didn't end at the end of the New Testament, did it? He started a church that grew from there. People throughout history that have been godly, men and women, that have known God, that have spoken of God. Augustine and Luther and Edwards and Bunyan and Chambers and C.S. Lewis. Guess what? They're all part of that family of God that I'm a part of. Stott, Sproul, Chan, Elizabeth Elliot, Nancy Gunthrie. They're all part of that same chain, that same church, that same people of God. The people I met when I was in the African church in Tanzania, the people I met in the small little churches in the towns in Cambodia, the people I met that were from India but were in England and were part of a small church that was forming there and hoping to be sent back to their home countries as missionaries, they're all part of the same family. The other churches around the world and around our community are part of the same family, working on the same kingdom of God as we are. They have something to teach us, right? They have something to teach us. They see things a little differently than we see things because they're in a different context. And often that helps us see blind spots that we have, things we've missed. Are any of those names I mentioned or churches I mentioned perfect? No, just like we're not perfect. Might I find a flaw somewhere? Sure. Might I be wrong and the flaw is actually a good thing and I'm the one who's wrong? Sure. But can I learn something? Can we learn something from the church through time and around the world? 
I think we need to. They're part of our family. We need to pray for them. But we also need to learn from them that our fathers would teach us and that we would teach the next generation. To a children yet unborn, they will need to hear the word of the Lord. Am I learning it myself so I can pass it along? Okay, how do we do this? All sounds nice. What do we do? I want to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I think it gives some very practical instructions to us. I have about a half a dozen little things here that it, that, it, that it tells us that I think we can apply in our homes today. Whether you're an older sibling, whether you're a parent, whether you're a grandparent, whether you're a single who has the church in front of them of different generations, we can apply these things in our lives. Chapter 6, starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. In a moment, he's going to talk about what to do with to the children. But notice where he starts. Love the Lord your God. Before we talk about how we pass along our faith, what's the number one thing for us? Love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. If I don't love the Lord, I've got nothing to pass along, Right? Love the Lord. The best thing we can do to start for our next generation is love God ourselves with all we are. Notice the next words. That you may fear the Lord your God and you, your sons, your sons' sons. Oops, sorry, I jumped up a notch. uh, um, With all your might. And these words I have commanded you today shall be on your heart. On your heart. Before we get to how to pass it along. The word of God needs to be on your heart. Are you in the word? Do you know the stories of what God has done? The accounts of what he's done in history? Is the word on your heart? I remember early in our marriage, I was discussing with Sue, what do we do as a family to just, you know, pass along the word of God? And her first word advice to me was, you be in it yourself. The kids will see that. It's a good word one that stuck with me many mornings <laughs> since then. Am I in the Word? Do I love the Word? Is the Word flowing out of me? That's the place to start, right? Love God, be in His Word, love His Word. Then what other advice does it give here? Words does it give here? You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. We're supposed to teach and talk. We're supposed to tell the words of God to our children. That might be in a devotional time. That might just be, you know, as you sit in the living room and talk after school. You know, it says throughout the day, as you go, wherever you go. Are we ones that know the word in such a way that we talk about the word? That we talk to our children? Is that who we are? You shall bind them as signs on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets in your eyes. What does that mean? I have to take verses and tie them on my hands. Well, if that's what it takes, what's the the, the thought here? The word is going with you, and it's becoming a part of you, and you're seeing it throughout the day. Maybe even people around you are seeing it throughout the day. Does the word go with you? Do you ever access it during the day? I could also put that in terms of Have you memorized any of it? Is any of it there with you in your day? 
Is there a verse from what you read this morning that you're going to think about and meditate on as you walk around during the day? Whether you write that down, whether you stick it in your phone, whether you just pull it out and look at it again at lunch. Is there, is there ways that the word is staying in front of you, is becoming a part of you? That as you go through your day, the word of God is permeating it in some way. Then you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What does that do? Well, certainly if it's on the outside of your doorpost, it might actually help to declare that your house is a Christian house, right? I think more even in the insides, right? What's your house look like? When you walk in, what do you sense? Would anybody that walked through your house know that you love the Lord? Or that you're godly in different ways? Maybe there's things on family or other things that are part of your walk with God in your house? Or would they just know that you're an Eagles fan? Not that that's wrong, but would they just know that? Is that all you are? Is that all you proclaim to the world? Are there things about your house that proclaim the word of God? And guess what? It helps too, right? As things around your house proclaim the word of God, it helps you get to know the word of God. Some people put verses on a mirror, on a blackboard, or other things around their house that help them see the word of God, get to know the word of God. Experts in communication say, their learning is 89% visual and 10% auditory. Do we have any visual representations of the truths of God? Skip down to verse 20. He says this, When your son asks you in times to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and statutes and the rules of the Lord your God? You shall say to your son, When we were slaves in Pharaoh of Egypt, the Lord brought us out with a mighty hand. He showed signs and wonders before our eyes. He brought us out that he might bring us in and give us a land. He swore to our fathers. We should tell of God and give his interpretation of events, right? When your children ask about this event, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to explain what God did and why he did it. Are we those that are there for the explanations? When events happen in our world around us, do we help the next generation, the generations under us, figure out what they mean? That might be in a sermon, that might be in a class, that might be in our living room. It might be lots of different places. But are we ones that are thinking through, biblically, the events around us and interpreting them for our kids? Are we thinking through our culture, our curriculums, that they get in schools. And it's not just for the youngest generation, right? If I'm one of the older generation, I might be one that's teaching, you know, I might be teaching the middle-aged people how to think about work and life and think about it from God's perspective. I might be one of the oldest generation that can spread, actually, the stories of what God has done in my life and my struggles and my joys and where I've seen God to those that are struggling underneath me. This isn't just the kids, right? This is meant to be generation to generation. Deuteronomy 11 will repeat some of the same words. It shall start by saying, You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as signs in your hands and in the frontals of your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking when you sit and when you walk and when you lie down and when you rise shall lay them up in your heart and your soul. It's about the heart and soul, isn't it? At the end of the day, it's not about learning words, right? I could retell the stories. 
I could memorize a few verses here and there. But if they don't ever sink into the heart, that doesn't, that doesn't do anything. It should be in my heart and soul. And that's my prayer, right? Is that the younger generations would see God and have his words and him in their heart and their soul. They would come to know Christ. I want the younger generations to have a relationship with God, to be forgiven, to have eternity. Some of that starts by me loving God and being in his word and then me recounting who he is and what he's done so that others may hear. Whatever generation you are, there are others that are younger that we need to pass that on to and pass it on in a way that they will pass it on, that they will pass it on. And that the word of God and the glory of God will go out. Let me close with Psalm 145. So anyways, this is, as we pass it on from generation to generation, what we want to see. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Therefore, one generation shall commend his works to another. They shall declare his mighty acts. Gracious splendor of your majesty and your wondrous works, I will meditate and I will speak of your might and your awesome deeds to declare your greatness. Shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. I shall sing of your righteousness. For the Lord, the Lord is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all he has made.